Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. You are tuned in to Arts on Fire right here on 107.9 WRFA. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the show. I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, and I have an author for you today. Always fun talking to local authors. We got Christina Jarvis, and she has a new book out, Lucky Mud and Other FOMA. It is a field guide to Kurt Vonnegut's environmentalism and planetary citizenship. And uh, we're going to learn more about the book, learn more about Christina and uh, everything she's up to. Christina, how are you doing? Great, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. So, I, you know, I am just talking to you off of a, a book signing. We had you in town because you're doing a book signing over at a good uh, neighbor bookstore. How did uh, your signing go? It went really well, and I just have to put in a plug for Bob Lingle and the community he creates at Good Neighbor, and you know, just the importance of books and reading. That is something that Vonnegut held dearly and and promoted, especially towards the end of his career. And I think Bob Lingle would represent uh, what Vonnegut called a secular saint, which is someone who behaves decently in an indecent society. So it was really nice to be there and support a local business and all that good stuff. Yeah, it, it is great to see what he what he does. And I was telling you before, like, I mean, when we have local authors on here, there's always like a good chance either they've done a signing there or they're going to do a signing. Bob Bob is a nice, uh, he's someone good to have in the community. It's nice to have that there. It's nice to hear Vonnegut may uh, may approve of uh, what he did over there. But uh, you know, have you uh, have you gotten a chance to other any other signings or readings yet? I mean, the book like just came out, right? The book like just like a couple weeks ago. Yes. So I actually had my book launch in Indianapolis because Kurt Vonnegut was from Indianapolis. And I was able to do that at the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library. And it was the 100th birthday. So the Vonnegut Centennial. So if you could imagine, I felt like some pretty lucky mud (laughs) to be in Kurt's hometown uh, there for Vonnegut Fest, did the book launch, even got to meet Tim O'Brien, and I shared my Vonnegut birthday tribute, and just being surrounded by Vonnegut superfans, it was it was amazing. But Vonnegut often said, uh, don't forget where you came from. I never did. So it's nice that I was out there where he came from, but it's also nice to be back here in Western New York and connecting with people from my community. No, it, it really is awesome. And I mean, kind of kind of going back to that, like going back to the beginning of this book, I want to I want to jump back to like before even writing it, just your initial idea for the book, like how far back did the working of this book go? Like before even pen to paper, like how far back was it like? I want to write a book on Vonnegut or, you know, I want to something, something revolving around Vonnegut. How far back was that? Did that idea kind of first pop into your head? Well, it, it's actually quite a long uh, journey for, for any Vonnegut fans out there listening. It's kind of like a Sirens of Titan crazy space odyssey journey. And then it, it, this book has been a long time in the making um, because I actually read, I first read Vonnegut as a teenager 
I would steal the books from my brother's closet, which were my <laughs> mom's books. And I actually read him when I was too young to really get it. But like something stuck with me. And then I was an English major and I didn't read Vonnegut much in college. But then when I was in graduate school, I, I wrote an essay on uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, which is Vonnegut's most famous work about his experience with the firebombing of Dresden. And it wound up actually being cut from my first book. But then it got picked up and reprinted, and a Vonnegut scholar invited me to join the Kurt Vonnegut Society. And wow. I said, sure, sure, you know. And it was, it, it's as random as that, but after joining the Kurt Vonnegut Society, I just started saying, oh, I took my, I took my job seriously. So I started teaching him in more of my courses, uh, even did a Vonnegut Twain author course. But then the more I got into to thinking about Vonnegut's work, um, the more I just kept discovering stories that were there. Uh, and in particular, so for, for people not familiar with, with Vonnegut's work too much, he's mostly known uh, for Slaughterhouse-Five and his writing about war and pacifism. But this book kind of tilts the axis of his career away from Slaughterhouse-Five release and puts his Earth Day, his 1970 speech at at the center and kind of revisits his whole work through an environmental and social justice lens. Um, but really, it was, if you asked, I, I know that I'm kind of wandering. Oh, no, that's fine. I like hearing this stuff. Here a little bit. But um, I came across an interview where he talked about the Great Lakes disappearing oh, nice. under plastic pollution. I'm like, wait, that's not in Breakfast of Champions. Wait, that's not in any of his books. And and that just sort of opened a door, and I realized that there probably were a lot of stories in the manuscripts and other kind of backstories. So it, it kind of, different pieces came together, but uh, my interest in Vonnegut coincided with my own interest in environmentalism and sustainability. And, but I, I think the Great Lakes stuck with me because I do a lot of beach cleanups. And so I think it was just one of those things where an intellectual interest met, a teaching interest met kind of a core personal interest. And years later, here's the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect storm. Now, yeah. it, now it's like, it's all, uh, it's all here. How, uh, I mean, how long after that initial idea, though, did you start putting pen to paper and, like, start writing this? How far back was after that, now you start taking those ideas and all that and, like, executing it? Well, I spent, I spent a full year just immersed rereading literally everything Vonnegut published <laughs> and then also working with his manuscripts at the Lilly Library. Oh, wow. And, I mean, it was completely mind-blowing because, for example... You know, he's famous for, for people who are listening. They might know uh, Cat's Cradle, which is a kind of a fan favorite. But, but that's a novel that hinges on this apocalypse that is released because there's this crystal ice nine that turns all liquid water solid and has a high melting point. Anyway, but then I was looking at the drafts. I was like, wait a second. In most of them, the apocalypse doesn't happen. You know, they were just crazy different versions from what was published. And... And so what I thought was going to be like, oh, I just do some research, write it up, um, just led to more and more visits, not only to the Lilly Library, but I, I went to Delaware to work with his Seymour Lawrence publishing papers. Wow. I went to Princeton to work with um, Scribner's, and uh, he was very involved with PEN America. Um, I know after the Salman Rushdie oh, stabbing yeah, yeah, yeah. at Chautauqua, but... but um, 
Rushdie and Vonnegut actually knew each other through Penn, which was championing uh, writers' free speech. So looking at, you know, Vonnegut's activism, not only through the writing he published, but what he did with Penn America. He was involved with like the ACLU and Penn America and championing writers all over the world. And so I, I guess I, I kind of was like a, a Vonnegut detective that I just <laughs> had to keep um, finding more and, and more stories. I, I did a deep dive at the Indiana Historical Society to kind of look at some of his early teenage experiences. And so long story short, <laughs> uh, I guess you could you could probably say that the book from the early idea to publication was about seven years in the making. Wow. I'm kind of embarrassed by that, but... No, um, I, I don't know with authors. I mean, I, I feel like I've talked to somewhat a decent amount at this point in like books. I like hearing the behind the scenes of that because like books seem to take... A long time. That's a lot of, I mean, like you were saying, it's like a year of just research. I mean, you you just immense yourself in like Vonnegut for like a year. Just, it sounds like it's probably all well, you read was Vonnegut. And that was just the opening act because then I good had to point, go back. Point. So, I mean, just to tell the story of certain manuscripts, I, I literally had to take four different visits to the Lilly Library just to wow. tell, you know, one story. Or And the thing is, some of the novels were actually connected, like they were conjoined twins, and then he separates them. You know, so looking at that process was just fascinating. Um, but one of the things I'm really excited about the book, uh, I I actually hid all kinds of Easter eggs nice. in the notes. So for like super Vonnegut fans, you could find out what was the original Breakfast of Champions or what was Salo's original message in Sirens of Titan, uh, and just kind of fun random tidbits, but I also created a roadmap for all future Vonnegut scholars. So this will be the first book that actually takes you back to the individual folder so other people can go to the archives and build on this work. Oh, nice. So, so there's almost like a second book in the book. Um, That's cool. And 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 some of the notes are straightforward, but some of them are kind of snarky and funny, or <laughs> they make me laugh because they like have illusions and stuff. So... Um, I hope that if if anyone listening picks up uh, the book and and you know real Vonnegut fans, tell them to read some of the notes. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> they, they will appreciate that, yeah. that part of it. If I if I'm not mistaken, too, this isn't your first book, right? You've written a couple books, if I'm not mistaken. Well, this is my second book. So, and it it, it seems strange to to come you know to be focusing solely on Kurt Vonnegut. My first book was actually the Male Body at War. American masculinity during World War II. Oh, nice. So a very different totally, kind of focus. Totally. But if you think about Vonnegut as a World War II veteran who survived the firebombing of Dresden, um, it is connected. But to me, they, they it seems like a lifetime ago. Was the, was the process pretty different for both of them? I mean, were you doing, like, could you, was the process, it, I, it sounds like maybe not, but like for the Vonnegut one, I mean, were, was there stuff you did on the first one, you know, working on that that you could apply to this? Or was this like a whole different monster doing the Vonnegut book? Well, I did a lot. I did extensive archival research at the National Archives and Record Administration and Library of Congress and, you know, the Carlisle Barracks for Military Records. Wow. Uh, so that's the historian in me. I was actually, as an undergrad, <laughs> I was an English history double major and I come from a family of historians so you're into all of that so history you know history and archival work is in my my DNA but for the Vonnegut I was writing I'm writing for Vonnegut fans as well as just also people interested in environmental issues and writing for fans 
is actually a lot harder than writing for scholars. Really? Like for me, you know, scholarly writing is much easier, but but to you know, actually reach a broader public, I think it's actually more challenging. Uh, one of the things I discovered working with Vonnegut's papers, he worked tremendously hard to make it easy on the reader. You know, just seeing it, because that's, that's the beauty of Vonnegut's fiction. Anyone, you know, 14 and up can pick up many of his novels, and on a syntax level, you know, they're really kind of shorter sentences. The syntax is pretty easy to read. You could read it. But the beauty of Vonnegut's writing is that there's so many layers uh, through the structure, uh, through just names that are have allusions. So you could return to it when you're older, and you'll get so much more out of it. There's there's such a richness to it. I, I like people who like that. You you kind of talked about it earlier too with yourself, like you know, discovering them when you were younger not maybe getting the context of everything or everything he was saying, and then you get it later. Like, there's a genius to that where, I mean, if your writing's too complicated or something, a teenager's not going to read it or they're not going to be able to pick it up. But the way he does it, and, and a lot of, I think, other really great writers do it, where you can read it as a teenager. You may not get it all. You may not understand it all, but it will get your interest. And then later on, you, re- you go back and you're like, oh, I missed all of this other stuff. It's this really cool thing where, yeah, later on in life, you kind of get a second act of being interested in that. You know, uh, it's and totally different, too. Like, I mean, it, I'm sure even you, like, going back and reading these things, you're, you're taking them, I'm sure, totally different than you reading them as a teenager, how over old you were the first time. Oh, absolutely. And I think many of the things I couldn't really appreciate until I reached early middle age. I guess I'm quite middle age now at 51. But the I already mentioned Vonnegut surviving the firebombing of Dresden, but he had so many trauma, life traumas. Uh, people who, who know Vonnegut know that right before he shipped out for World War II, his mother... Um, committed suicide oh, wow. accidentally or on purpose. It's the family has differing opinions, but she had um, she she basically had like sleeping pills and, and alcohol. Vonnegut always viewed it as a, as a suicide. But then also in 1958, he lost his sister Alice um, to breast cancer. But oh, within geez. yeah, but just a few. Uh, within 24 or 48 hours, her husband was in a freak uh, commuter train rail accident. And then they wound up adopting three of the four Adams boys. So, I mean, this is someone who went through tremendously life-altering experiences. And and the thing is, he's also known for his dark humor and laughter. And so people associate him with lightness. But there's there's this sort of uh, richness to his human experience. That again, I don't think the standard fourteen-year-old yeah, yeah, would necessarily. But there's there's sort of un- underneath it um, a lot of rich human experience. He's also an anthropology student who studied human beings. I mean, there there's so many layers to his writing. It is interesting because you don't hear a lot of this stuff in other like. I feel like with, with authors, too, like, I mean, they're known, obviously, for your body of work, but no one ever thinks, like, there is a real guy behind that who, like, you know, lives day to day. He's not just in his books, like, that, you know, he experienced loss and pain and these things, and it's like, I mean, that does kind of give you, like, that dark sense of humor, this or that. Like, you start you start putting the pieces together, and you look at who he was as a human and go, oh, okay, 
it kind of, it kind of makes more sense. I mean, with, with anyone really, but I'm sure too, with, I mean, all the, all the stuff you were going through and all the research, I mean, yeah, really dissecting, you're really dissecting the man. I'm sure you got a better feel for who he was and why he was the way he was from doing all that. Well, and since we're not too far from the comedy center, I'm reminded of a famous Vonnegut quote. uh, This is from Palm Sunday, a dress he did in Palm Sunday. But he said, you know, there there are different life responses, you know, laughter and tears. I myself prefer laughter to tears. There's much less cleaning up to do afterwards. (laughs) Um, And I think he really did use humor as as a way to to get through. And I think that... um, a lot of people, I know if you go to the Comedy Museum, it's it's noteworthy how many comedians, you know, have either suffered trauma oh, or yeah. depression. Or I, I'm sure someone's done a study, but I, I'm sure he fits in that, that mold of, of kind of laughter as a relief, uh, coping. Um, it sure helped me through the pandemic. I don't know about you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. Laughing, laughing and all that definitely helps. And I definitely agree with his uh, the crying and laughing. Yeah, I think I would rather laugh and all that. Um, you know, I mean, a couple more for you, too. Like going going with Vonnegut, we're talking about a little bit. I know we keep going back to like discovering him when you're like younger. But like those who haven't discovered him yet, and I get doesn't he have to be young. Just anyone listening to this who maybe hasn't really gotten into Vonnegut. I mean, is there, do you feel like there's a starting point? Is there like a place you would point someone the direction? I mean, it's almost like with music where you go, like, this is how you get into a band or this, that. It's like, is there an entry point, do you think, to Vonnegut where someone should start a specific book or a writing or something? You go, that's, that's your gateway. Like, start there and then you'll be interested and you'll keep on going from there. I think Cat's Cradle is a great gateway. So that's his 1963 novel that I mentioned about Ice Nine. Uh, so that novel has kind of signature Vonnegut. It, he often has multiple threads, and so it has that scientific thread where he's warning about Cold War technologies, obviously nuclear technologies, and, and the danger of science without checks and balances and ethics. But there's also this entirely made-up religion called Vokanonism in there. Uh, and and it's full of... Uh, he. It was so perfectly invented with its own terms and cosmology that that's actually what he got his master's in anthropology from Chicago for, you know, but he uses and he pits these two threads against each other um, to raise question, bigger ethical concerns. So Cat's Cradle is a great starting point. Um, But for all of people who are interested in technology issues, his very first novel, Player Piano, um, where he asks the question what people are for and looks at automation and, you know, the role of, of humanity in our relationship with technology. It's it's not his it, – it's a good starting point if you want to go chronologically. It's not kind of signature Vonnegut. It's, it, it's an early work. It's early, yeah, you're seeing. Another good starting point would be Mother Night, um, I think, with the sort of rise of fascism in America um, – that one is a mock autobiography by J. Howard Campbell, Howard J. Campbell, uh, where he was kind of a double agent. So he was an American, um, but who kind of gets in with the Nazi regime, but he's actually a spy communicating messages back, but it's in secret. But it's messages, we are who we pretend to be, so we must be careful who we pretend to be. And it raises a lot of questions about um, guilt and innocence, and it's very timely for our moment. Uh, So those 
those are are good starting points. I personally love Galapagos. It's my favorite Vonnegut novel. Uh, Slaughterhouse Five is another good entry point. That's his famous. Uh, yeah, Dresden. I feel like that's the most well known. That's that's the most well known. But I guess if if sort of a standard path, start with Cat's Cradle. Cat's Cradle, and then go from there. I want to. You, you talked about it a little bit earlier too, but I mean, for for those who don't know, I mean, you are a professor also up at uh, Fredonia, and you did say you've gotten to like kind of integrate Vonnegut in some of it. Like, what have what have you been able to do up there and, and integrate him into your teachings? So I have to to thank all of my chairs and colleagues for putting up with my Vonnegut obsessions, <laughs> but most of all, I thank my students. So Fredonia has a major author course. And so I've gotten to teach a major author course on Kurt Vonnegut. I've also had a chance to do honor seminars, whether like Vonnegut and Cold War America, kind of focus courses. And it is magic, actually, to teach a course that just focuses on Vonnegut's works because the class itself becomes kind of an artificial extended family, which was an idea that was very sacred to Vonnegut. Um, so we, they kind of have their own inside jokes. Uh, you know, the ref, the novels often reference their recurring characters, although they're not often the same. You know, I mentioned Bokanonism, these made-up turns, so they'll start talking, you know, in, in these Vonnegut terms. And so it just becomes kind of a magic group, and it becomes a human community. The students really care about each other and their ideas, and it and. I don't think that happens with all authors. I mean, I agree with that. I, th- I think, and he, and he's fun. He, you know, he he's so creative. He, I mean, I I can't do justice to his writing because you know, I mean, some of it is he has science fiction elements, he has futurist elements, he you know the humor, and but I think the teaching Vonnegut courses has been a joy and. Just to put in a plug, my students this year, I, I was so blessed. I got to do an honor seminar and a, a major author course. But my students uh, did a Vonnegut Centennial exhibit nice. at our library. And they did posters, which were creative. Our Slaughterhouse-Five group even had a little human zoo, like in <laughs> El Pavador, where people put celebrities and play with that. And and um, some of my students wrote letters to Kurt, and and in the past, the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library has published them on their website. Oh wow! Uh, so they actually displayed, I think, about seven of my current students' letters at the museum, and and they just wind up connecting to Vonnegut's work in a really deep way, uh, which makes me happy because they're thinking about Vonnegut. But I I'm most proud of the way they become invested in human beings in human communities and each other and just to to see that i think especially post uh pandemic post covid it's it's really life affirming it goes beyond vonnegut really yeah I mean. it really does it really does i just i i feel very blessed to um teach those courses is there is there anyone else um kind of i guess i put you on the spot there but like because I'm thinking about it as you're talking about it, it's, it's very interesting to be like, you know, to take a course. I mean, you can take a course in writing or authors and stuff, or literature, and the whole semester, maybe you'll keep going through different authors and stuff and spend a couple weeks on one, go on to the next. But, like, that's kind of interesting where you have these months to really, I mean, go in kind of like you with the research of your book, truly, like, break down and dissect one specific author. Like that's that's quite interesting. Is there is there anyone else? I guess off the top of your head, or maybe you've done it before. Are there any other courses you think you could teach 
on a specific writer, author, anything like that. Well, actually, before I did the Vonnegut Twain major author course, I did a Dos Passos and Don DeLillo. Oh, so you've done this. You've done this. But we have other colleagues. So I have a a colleague, Bruce Simon, who's working on Hawthorne and Morrison, Tony Morrison, you know, and another colleague, um, Birgit von Wiesenweg, who is an expert on Stefan Zweig. And I have Emily Vandette, who you know, has done a lot with Twain and especially looking at his animal rights activism. And so it's really very exciting that we're able to offer, you know, those immersive experiences by people with that expertise. But I think what students also take away is, you know, what it is to study a major author. And for people who are writers, you know, if you're a creative writing major or a writing major, you know, you, you really get to see the craft and the arcs of their career. And, and as you just mentioned, that's really pretty rare. You know, we, we don't do that very much. It feels kind of old fashioned, but um, I, I hope it isn't. I, I hope that we get to continue, you know. Well, it's even, I mean, I guess thought too, I mean, like with Vonnegut, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's tons of people who read one of his books in high school. And it was like a thing, maybe three weeks of their life or something. But like, again, that and that's it. You know, a lot of people tend to do that. You're in a class, you, you, you read the author, you read that book, and that's kind of it. I mean, it is it is very neat. I, I like that idea um, of just, yeah, going totally and go, no, no, like we're, the whole class is him. Like, this is this is it. We're breaking this down. So this is uh, quite interesting. Um, you know, too, with like, with like writing, because again, you're juggling the book. You're obviously doing a lot with that. I'm sure being a professor is a lot of work, too. I mean... Was the writing of the book, were you kind of were you kind of like just writing this entire time, or would you get in spurts where you write a while, maybe take a break, maybe go back to teaching for a bit, maybe go hit a stride there, like a week of a lot of writing? Like, how, how was that writing process? Because oh, you're juggling a lot there. Oh, it's definitely in spurts, because during the semester, you really have to focus on you can't write a novel during the semester no 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 so a lot of a lot of the writing actually happened in summers or on breaks and I still thank the third floor of Reed Library that's where most of it was written in the summers where you know I'd have the whole floor of the library to myself it's like this big office but it was quiet and you know they had the air conditioning in the summer and I would just sit there and bash away at it you know so Writing, I mean, writing is obviously a passion for you, or at least you do it a lot. It seems to be a big part of your life. Any other creative outlets? Or, I mean, is writing basically that's how you get all creativity out of you? Or do you, do you have any other, like, creative outlets be out beyond writing? Oh, I love gardening, which I consider nice. an art. Um, I love baking. I love to cook and bake. And I am married to an artist who's a hell of a painter, a planner painter. Yes. Uh, I, I like to do creative, I guess, like paper craft or kinds of things. But I think when you're married to an artist, you don't take up painting because, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, I think know. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or just as, you know, I came from a long line of women who were geniuses that counted cross stitch and knitting and i oh, really yeah but it, they're they my mom especially my mom and my grandmother they did such amazing whether it was quilting knitting they did all of it and they did it so perfectly that i you know i didn't even really bother i can't even sew on a button <laughs> i'm not gonna thing. build on this like i'm not um, gonna perfect this but i i i vonnegut said you know practice an art no matter how well or how badly because it will make your soul grow and so i will turn to 
gardening or, you know, just little crafts or even making wine charms kind of thing. Because I really, I think that's a human need. I think we need the arts, you know, on a deep level. I think we need these creative outlets. I feel better as a human being um, when I'm, when I'm creating. And having that main, I mean, you know, you can have a main creative outlet, but I think it's also nice to like mix it up because you can also get burnt out on that one thing. I'm sure it doesn't hurt to like take a break from writing, be able to get to do these other, you know, go gardening or something like that, you know, in a way that probably helps your writing because you stop getting burnt out. Maybe you get new ideas pop in your head. You know, it's kind of that like cycle, all that kind of works together. Absolutely. I mean, I probably have some of my best breakthrough ideas when I'm gardening. Nice. You know, you're just listening to music, gardening, and something will pop out, you know, whether podcasts. Uh, so I think we have to chase creativity in different forms. Um, they come out in weird ways. They I mean, do. You can't, you can't pick it. I mean, I know they, uh, hiking, hiking is good for me. I get ideas just from hiking, just random things, with, whether it's radio or whatever. It's like some of my best ideas are just wandering through the woods. Something hits you in the head and go, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I should do that. And then isn't, isn't the problem then remembering? <laughs> yes, that's the other thing. <laughs> you know, Rem- remember like you have your notepad with you out, you know, in the garden or the woods. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like I guess that is the other side of it. Yeah, you're not, you're not uh, as well equipped to yeah, stop and start writing your notes and stuff. That is, that is the the other part of it is the second half is re, is retaining and remembering yes. it but yeah the uh yeah they all kind of work together where like i feel like yeah you're not just sitting down going i'm gonna write a book you need those ideas and the idea is you can't just pick and choose when they come they kind of hit you when they hit you and that stuff kind of helps but um anything you know talking about you just did that book signing today is there anything else coming up signings or readings around like the chautauqua region that you have lined up yet that you can talk about well i haven't officially set dates but i want to come back to the rogatory peterson probably around earth day makes and, sense and do something talking about vonnegut's naturalist roots and perhaps all the birds in his fiction he was actually a birder and you know had oh, nice. these amazing he actually worked with a, a very important naturalist in his life and so kind of focusing on some aspects that that will align with the rtpi's interests and programming um nancy nixon at the patterson and westfield has approached me and then and close to home um the barker library and historical society so i'm hoping to do a couple of events that are are local and i love you know just reaching people even on a small level conversation Uh, so i'm happy to talk vonnegut basically anytime (laughs) anywhere but but also, You're well versed, you know, connecting with readers, and and then maybe hopefully sometime at the Chautauqua Institute. He spoke there in 1989 and has a That's lot so of, cool. you know, he actually has a lot of New York connections and Western New York connections. So I really welcome the opportunity to to set people on a path to reading just a little bit more Vonnegut. I figure, you know, um, it probably won't. It might not do any good, but it won't harm anyone. It's there you go, like, yeah. Like his character, Boaz, among the Harmonians, you know. So You know, I, I know you're still, I'm sure, immersed in, in this book and still thinking about getting this out and everything. You see yourself writing another book eventually? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have no plan in the near future, but, I mean, you, you see yourself getting back and writing more in the future? Well, I think there are a lot of kind of loose ends, and so there are there are things in Vonnegut I'd like to return to, but I think possibly more personal essays or a shorter form. Um, so I just, this is very preliminary at this point, but Vonnegut was a secular humanist. And so I like to think about 
the idea of a secular rosary, you know, kind of, kind of freezing some characters or moments or lessons from, from Vonnegut, you know, and, and pulling that together or, you know, just reflections I've had thinking about issues while I was writing, um, as well as, and I'm not sure how this will, will connect, but um, going back to some of my West Virginia coal mining roots and how that squares with being an environmentalist and, you know, thinking about uh, being here in the age of climate change. And so I know that I probably shouldn't even be talking about this on the, on the radio. <laughs> it's a, it was a very half-baked idea, but I, I just, I, we talked about that creative process and I, I see flashes Kind of like, you know, that might be a phrase or yeah, a word yeah. or, or an essay, but I think it would be uh, more personal, but trying to preserve or distill down kind of key lessons. Not And not just from Vonnegut. I think I'll start with Vonnegut because that's where I've been immersed. But, you know, whether Toni Morrison or um, just kind of kind of in to, to pull a Vonnegutian phrase, you know, in, in, from Slaughterhouse-Five, you know, kind of freezing in Tralfamadorian amber, kind of these, some beautiful moments, beautiful lessons, uh, get get the arts and humanities out there. So I'm not sure what, what it'll look like, and I might hear this interview in, in 10 years and be like, what what was I talking about? But Hey, I mean, again, and I mean, I'm sure all your efforts and stuff right now are in Lucky Mud and Other FOMA. I mean, the book just came out, you know. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm looking way, way ahead in the future. But then again, that's how a lot of ideas start like that, you know, a phrase or just a quick idea, and then all of a sudden you might be back here with another book in a couple of years. You may be here with that book you just Hopefully started. Hopefully <laughs> with a little less obsessive research. That was a lot of, a lot of research. But you, but, you know, I feel like, too, you going going forward, too, I mean, even outside of Ongan, I mean, if you did something like this again, you obviously know how to go about it now. Like with the research and really just going into their lives and dissecting everything, I mean, you could apply that to anybody. I mean, right now it's him, but, I mean, in the future you well, could do that with one, anyone. One thing, though, Vonnegut continued to use a typewriter. Oh, really? At the end of his life. So, I mean, if you think about it, the drafts, you know, old drafts are there because he saved, you know, all these typewritten drafts. Now with computers, you know, who saves paper drafts? I mean, digital file, you know, I mean, the archives of the future and the archives of the yeah. present are, you know, are like, where is you're actually looking at. And the thing is, there's, there's like a materiality of the page, like where he spilled coffee or a cigarette burn or those kinds of things. Extremely or personal. Dr- and he drew. He, he drew and doodled all over it. So there's, there's more to the physical page. And I think we're losing that. Oh, definitely. You know, we're not going to have that experience. I don't know. The the what future archives will look like. Well, let's hope that we don't have a solar flare that Tralfamadorians don't come and, you know, wipe out the Internet of Things or we'll lose a lot. But Vonnegut's, because he typed, you know, with his Smith Corona typewriters, they're there. You bring up such a good point about that because I was literally thinking about this, I think, maybe yesterday, the day before, um, I used to go to Fredonia and, like, I was thinking about it and, I mean, I kind of got up there where everything started becoming just a digital file just email me your like you never really print out the paper there's no printouts you just digitally send it to them and I was thinking I don't think I have a huge chunk of the writings I did in college anymore because they were just on emails or they were being like you were saying you don't save the drafts that way you just keep writing over it in word or something and it's like not saying I'm bonnie yet not to say we need to like archive my college writings but what you're saying yeah, there's really not that – it's not documented the way it once was. I mean, there's things I wrote five, six years ago where if you ask me now to go find it, 
I don't know that I have it. Uh, maybe it's somewhere on a flash drive somewhere. Hopefully, maybe, you know. Yeah. So good point of what good I, point I of mean, what you're saying. I had in college, you know, one of the first Mac classics. Oh, the really? First time. Like, I, I couldn't. They're on floppy disks. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, I couldn't retreat. I don't even. Yeah, try doing I, that now. Yeah. Throw a floppy disk in and go through your files. That, that's any, a really good point. Any listeners out there, I think Stephen King actually still writes by hand on, wow. you know, no, you know, there are still writers out there. So we're not losing our human archive altogether. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, for uh, for people now, they want to go find Lucky Mud and other FOMA. Where can we find the book? Are you online anywhere? Like, where do we where do we go get this stuff now? Well, I would since since I'm here in Jamestown and had such a wonderful experience with Bob Lingle, I would send people directly to Good Neighbor yeah. Bookstore and support your local bookstore. Um, they have copies. In fact, I signed a few extra, so they're already oh, nice. pre-autographed, and I even to make my soul grow. I left some. Uh, bookmarks that I made. Um, uh, I don't have my own website, but I have one through the college at, at SUNY Fredonia. But I'm kind of a neo-Luddite. I'm not on social you media. Uh, my heart is too sensitive for the, <laughs> for the world of social media. You're too busy writing books. <laughs> too busy writing books, being with people in, in person. Um, but but yeah, I'd send them there or you know, Seven Stories Press, again, an independent press uh, that's committed to authors and, and locals. So, yeah, just just not Amazon <laughs> yeah. necessarily. No, go go support Good Neighbor. They're yeah. always uh, it, it's always great to see what they're doing with the community Absolutely. with local writers and everything. Um, as we close this out, I mean, is there anything that we missed? Anything else we should let people know? Have we have we not covered something that we should cover or let people know about? Well, I mean, there's a million more things <laughs> I can say about the book, but I think people should read it and find find out uh, more about Vonnegut. I, I hope to, you know, change some of your assumptions or, or introduce you or, or hopefully get you to think about being a planetary citizen yourself, um, you know, caring about our, our planet. And I just want to thank you. Uh, I think within the Vonnegut cosmos, you would be a secular saint, someone no, who behaves he's... decently in an indecent society and promotes the arts and uh, helps build community and so it's just been a pleasure to have this conversation so yeah, thank you so much really fun and uh yeah talking to a local author and professor christina jarvis here her new book is out now lucky mud and other foma you can go grab that and i'll be back with more for you here in a second on arts on fire